This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the duck. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. We have a special guest on today. And as usual, we also have Rich Ivanowski on. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, man. Um, I get really excited around summer league time. It's uh, it's not real NBA basketball, but I get it, you know guys like us. We get to nerd out on some of the fringe players and get to see the rookies early on. And uh, it was a really special week for me too, getting to go uh, to the California Classic. And uh, the guy we have on today, Blake Ellington of Sacktown Royalty, showed me around there. And uh, I, you know, just from talking with him a little bit. I knew we had to get him on the show and share some of his experience. So, uh, yeah, welcome, Blake. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, it was fun being around the arena with you over the California Classic. Rich uh, had a good time, and it seems like you had a good time there and meeting Harry, and it seemed like a cool experience for you. Yeah, man, that was so cool. I'm uh, incredibly stoked. And, like, he introduced me to his mom, which was like an extra special thing that I didn't see coming. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Well, Blake, the first thing we wanted to get from you is how long have you been covering the Sacramento Kings? I mean, when did that start and how did that get started? Um, well, I I started covering the team um Tyreek's rookie season, um so 2009 around then. Um, I had my own Kings blog at the time um, that I was writing for and covering the team, and I was able to, you know, gain some access through a credential. Um, so I did that for uh, two to three years, got to know the ins and outs of the, the team and how it works, um, having, you know, media access and all of that stuff. Um, and then... And around 2013, um, I had, I had established a relationship with some of the other guys at STR at the time, um, ACUS and Tom Ziller was the editor then. And he decided to, you know, offer me the opportunity to come on as, um, basically the first, uh, credentialed writer of STR, um, to cover the team that way. And so I joined then and ever since then I've, been doing that I've enjoyed it and you know I haven't <laughs> haven't haven't had the opportunity to cover a lot of good teams but uh <laughs> it's been 
a good experience in terms of getting to you know a lot of these players and it's just a different way of viewing um the league and you know you see how the business side of things work and it's just an interesting experience to to be part of yeah i i really appreciate um all your articles for str i think it it adds a really a really professional element to the site um you know especially when i was starting writing for them it felt like i was just you know just purely a fan writing about what whatever i felt like that day but um seeing your stuff and seeing like you know interviews with marvin bagley and stuff last year like those those articles really bring um a really valuable element to the website and you know you had mentioned that you haven't gotten the opportunity to, to cover many good teams but you know it seemed like last year must have been the best team you've covered. Certainly, certainly the best team that you've covered since Tyreek's season. And can you tell us a little bit about that experience last year? Like, was it different in the locker rooms? Were the guys reacting differently? What was the, what was the feeling? Can you walk us through last year a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting because, you know, I, like I said, I hadn't covered many teams and really the only, if you want to call it a good team was, you know, that first month or so under Michael Malone, when the team had looked like they had turned a corner, figured things out, um, you know, had cousins, you know, headed in the right direction. It seemed like with everybody around him, Rudy Gay and everybody, and they were actually winning some games and surprising people. Of course, everything fell apart <laughs> quickly after that. But, um, yeah, at that time I was, I was sort of thinking like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to get used to covering, you know, an actual good team. And that changes dynamics when you're, when you're writing about a team because, you know, you're used to a lot of guys kind of not being, not necessarily excited, just down on the, the progress of the team and the future of the team. And it just creates a different dynamic in terms of how you interview and how guys respond to questions and that sort of thing. So at the time it was, it was kind of interesting in that I, it was, it seemed to be switching a little bit. So I was thinking to myself, okay, now we, there, there's going to be new angles on stories. And last year it was, it was quite a bit different um, because you could sort of tell that, you know, in the past, a lot of the players, you know, they, they'd pull for each other and they were supportive of each other, but you had the sense that a lot of them were sort of looking at their next step in their career, the next team, next contract they were going to get, not seeing a sort of a light of an, at the end of the tunnel in Sacramento. So there was always that dynamic a lot with a lot of these veteran players, you know, going back five to 10 years that, you know, they didn't see Sacramento as their long-term team that they were going to stick with. It was just a stepping stone to them. And I would say that last season and probably a little, little bit the season before that started, started to change. There was a culture building and a lot of the players, um, truly seemed to get, get along with each other, joke with each other, spend time with each other. And they see this, I think, as a, uh, an actual opportunity to, you know, bring some glory back to Sacramento and they're all sort of in line in that mission. So it's definitely a different dynamic and you could tell, you know, the culture last season when Shumpert was here that it was a lot different than, than in years past. And, 
it just built with a lot of these young guys, and I think it's it's certainly heading in the right direction. Definitely headed in the right direction, and like you said, last year had a lot of fun moments to it, and the team just has a good vibe around it, uh, game winners, and just heading in the right direction, like we said. Is there any moments that specifically stand out to you, having that behind-the-scenes perspective, or maybe common misconceptions um, that you feel like media or general fan bases have? Um, well, I think a lot of people knew about one thing that stands out was when Shumpert got traded and a lot of people were aware of, you know, how that impacted the team, but it really was true. A lot of these, a lot of these young guys, um, you know, looked up to him and I wouldn't, I don't know if they consider him like a mentor, right? I'm sure they did, but he was just kind of like a big brother to a lot of them and he helped sort of guide, you know, this fun style of approach to basketball and it really hit, did hit a lot of those guys hard and uh, honestly up until that point you know there wasn't really a lot of hung heads and like people you know being down on where things were at but that 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 game where he got traded was it hit the locker room pretty hard and it was the first time in a while I had seen a collective you know sort of everyone being down. So it really did hit him emotionally. I remember seeing um, Marvin out in the hall because uh, they were playing the Clippers that night talking to Chris Paul, and, and he was telling him, you know, Shump was my guy, and basically he, he was really down about it and just kind of, uh, I don't know, venting is the right word, just telling Chris Paul how much he meant to him. So... Yeah, that was a big moment, I think, you know, and it sort of played out in the media. A lot of people realized that, but, you know, seeing it firsthand, you could really see it took took the air out of him a little bit, but he got past it and moved on. Um, I think one of the things that came out of that uh, immediately that sparked my interest was how supportive Buddy was um, after that decision of the front office. Like, he was clearly... Um, even though he was down about losing Shumpert, he made it clear that, you know, he trusts Vladi, trusts the moves that the front office is making. And he would say that sporadically throughout the rest of the season, even after it, it, it was clear that the team wasn't going to make the playoffs anymore. Um, so I think that was important from him. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, behind the scenes, I think that was probably one of the bigger, bigger moments of the season. As you said, there was a point in the season where the playoffs slipped away and it seemed to happen like, pretty quickly. Uh, I know there was a tough loss against the Knicks. And at that point, it, it just looked like the Clippers and Spurs, they just went on a couple runs themselves uh, and made that separation. But, um, you know, how was that for the Kings? I, I know you had mentioned uh, to me that uh, you thought that Fox took it a little bit hard, uh, or I don't know if that's the the terminology you would use, but just that, uh, you know, it was probably tough for everybody, but what can you tell us about the, the vibes at the end of the season, uh, among the, in the locker room there? Yeah. I, I mean, Fox didn't come out and say a lot of this. It was just, just being around him and having seen how he acted for the majority of the season. And after it was, 
clear that they weren't going to make the playoffs. I don't think he changed his approach to his game or played any differently or, you know, anything like that. But I could tell that he put a lot of pressure on himself um, in terms of and felt it was on him that the team didn't make the playoffs a little bit. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it, some of his interviews were a little shorter and, um, you know, stuff like that you picked up on. You can tell that it's sort of getting to guys. But, you know, you want to see that out of players, and I think that's a good thing that, you know, he took it so personally. And um, a buddy stayed positive as long as he could. You know, there was that stretch where clearly they weren't going to make it, but there was this spark of hope statistically through the numbers that, yeah, they could potentially make it. Um, and he kept hope alive as long as he could until it was looking real dim. Um, but, you know, I think that they they saw what happened with Denver a couple seasons ago where they barely made it. And I think that a lot of them are thinking that, you know, is something that they can mirror in terms of getting the ninth seed and then making the push the following season. Um, but all of them, I think, especially Fox, he's talked about this in terms of taking pride in the fact and being able to get Sacramento back into the playoffs because of the fans and everything that the franchise has gone through with the relocation attempts and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I think all of them have that collective goal and they see that they can be a part of something special in terms of bringing the team back. Um, maybe not to the point of the glory days. Of course, they want to get that to that level, but at least in the, in the short term, at least getting the team back into the playoffs. So I think they all have that collective goal and it was a little hard for all of them. Um, but you know, like anything in life, you, you learn from that and you get motivation from it. And I think that they're prepared to do that next season. And one of the biggest changes this off season, that's really going to help towards making that playoff goal would be how well the Kings did in free agency of filling these holes. We'd been talking about a starting center, a backup point guard and a wing and Sacramento out went out and got three of the best options. Dwayne Dedman that fits everything. Uh, Corey Joseph, that's going to be your defensive mind, a backup point guard, and Trevor Ariza, a great veteran presence, three and D guy that can contribute. Um, what were your thoughts on seeing all those signings? Yeah, you know, I agree. I think they feel, <clears throat> they filled a lot of the holes that they needed to fill. Um, Deadman was a guy that I thought that they should target all along, even when these big names were out there um, that potentially could fill it, like Capella and and Al Horford, um, you know, to me, it's, it's always been like, well, not always, but recently at least, um, since we saw the growth of Fox and, uh, Buddy and what Bagley can be, I, I tend to agree that they, they really already have their stars. Um, and what this team really needed was a set of really defensive minded role players to go around them, uh, with some experience to help lift them into the playoffs. And I think Deadman is, you know, he's an athletic big who can play in a fast-paced system who can rebound, protect the rim, and shoot threes. I mean, that's essentially what they need at the center position. So he feels all that. He's got a very diverse skill set. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big signing. Um, Joseph is uh, more defense, obviously, which they needed in the backcourt. Fox made some progress there last season, and it was good to see him make a pri- make defense a priority. But adding another uh, ball stopper and Joseph off the bench, I think, is 
going to be pretty good, and you know he's a good, decent playmaker, which is something else they needed off the bench last season. Um, his offensive numbers don't jump off the page, but again, I think the main priority for him is just going to facilitate the offense and try to lock some opposing guards down. And then, yeah, Ariza, even though he's up there in age, he's 34 now, but he played 34 minutes a game last season in Washington and still averaged, you know, uh, 14 points, five rebounds. So the guy's still productive and has a ton of experience. And I think that's definitely a good addition out in the wing. And then Holmes is the other guy, which, you know, I think Holmes is a guy that, you know, Kings fans have been wanting to have not, not Holmes specifically, but a player like him on the team for a while, just known for his hustle and someone um, that's going to fill all the roles and do all the dirty work that, Kings fans, I think, love players like that, and you know, I think they'll they'll like to have you know that aggressive boost off the bench. Um, he's going into his fifth season, and he's never averaged more than twenty minutes a game or so. But you know, his per per thirty six numbers are you know seventeen, ten, two point four blocks. So you know, I think I think he's going to be a nice presence off the bench. Um, and then yeah, I think between him and Deadman given Bagley a break coming in and him and Joseph leading the defense off the bench. So I think they got a decent rotation with these guys and it's, it's sort of what they needed. Yeah. I like what you said there about uh, the Kings already kind of having their stars or, you know, the, the rising stars at, at least. Um, and I know that there was a lot of talk about Vucevic as a potential target and then Horford, really gained a lot of steam near the end. But, you know, really for me, and, and you guys can tell me if you agree, this feels like the better way to go. If I if I had known that it was realistic for the Kings to grab, to really split up that money and grab four guys that could be contributors, uh, and from my perspective, the right contributors, I would have taken that over the big flashy signing uh, any day. Yeah, no, I agree. Um you know, Al Harford is a great player and somebody, you know, I think he's a, he would be a great addition for the season next season, but you have to consider the long term and how much it would cost over the long term with three to four year deal. Um, Clint Capella obviously is a good fit and Vujicic I wasn't completely sold on in terms of fit with this team, but yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you let these, these young guys develop and continue to grow into the stars that I think they can become. And then you have all of these guys with that not only have experience and can be mentors in their own right, but also, you know, can actually be solid contributors and fill the voids of what the team was missing last season. Um, I think that that was probably, yeah, that was definitely the way to go in my opinion. We also didn't even mention bringing Harrison Barnes back. I mean, right. he was that perfect fit at that small forward hole. And now the Kings legitimately are 12 players deep, all that I would be very comfortable giving at least 15 minutes to any of those 12 players. Yeah, Barnes, yeah, I, I forgot to mention him too. I mean, that was, you know, he did, does pretty much everything you need there. The, the, the three, he can, you know, hit the three-point shot. I think he's around 40% or something like that. And he can pass the ball. He can rebound, hold his own defensively for the most part. And, 
it really, he's just the right size for a small forward, which is something that the Kings hadn't had. And I had a guy that was, you know, 6'8", 220, that can play on the wing and guard other threes. So um, he fills that role, and he's a legitimate starting small forward in his prime. So I think that that was, you know, a, definitely a key pickup free agent, as you want to call it. Yeah, I was wondering before we move on to some of the summer league stuff uh, and the draft guys, um, can you tell us a little bit about how Barnes carries himself off the court? Because he just is, he seems like uh, maybe a a more quiet guy. Uh, We talk so much about Buddy uh, and Fox and Bagley, but um, I I guess uh, Barnes just strikes me as kind of an enigma. And I'd be interested to know, uh, if he fits in with that group, if he stands out, um, what can you tell us about Barnes? Yeah, I think, you know, he's a little older than those guys. Um, so age wise, um, there is a gap there, but at the same time, um, he does carry himself a little differently than, than some of the younger guys. Um, he's a little more reserved, um, but he has this professional, uh, persona about him. Um, he, you know, is very straightforward and his answers with the media and he's he, he te- what I picked up from him is that he really understood the gaps and what the Kings needed and what they needed to do to get the next to the next level. Um, he's very articulate in terms of, you know, focusing on how rebounding was a, was continuously a problem. And, um, you know, there's other aspects of the, of the team that, you know, that where they, they were lacking and he always was able to identify that stuff. And I think he's somebody that they can go to and get, get advice. And, um, that he is a little, he, he's quiet and, and reserved in that way, but he, he conducts himself, um, in a professional manner that I think they can, these younger guys can follow. Um, and yeah, I think people were a little concerned about, you know, transitioning from, you know, what, what the team had in terms of chemistry with Shumpert and then moving to Barnes. But, you know, you saw all the stories about Dallas and how he fit in there and, you know, how, you know, all the guys really liked him. And I think that's translated over, um, to the Kings as well in terms of, you know, you saw him with the, with the guys at, at the California Classic sitting on the bench. So, um, yeah, I think he's a good fit, um, and a good, uh, you know, good, another veteran with a uh, playoff and champion champion experience that these guys can look up to. Are you currently paying off student debt interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever changing digital landscape? Well, on the talk money with mesh Lakani podcast, mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. You know, I like this direction a little bit. Who who last year really felt like the loud voices in the locker room? Um Obviously, on the surface, it looks like Fox is the leader of the team and the loudest voice. But aside from that, who are you really hearing often? 
Well, I honestly, I feel like they were internally trying to look for that after Shumpert left. Um, Buddy at one point said that he needed, he knew that he needed to be that guy because he felt he was, in terms of if you're talking about being outspoken and loud, he felt like he was second in line to Shumpert last season. So I think he was trying to be that guy. Um, Fox, um, I think um, a lot of the guys want him to be more vocal, and I think he's open to that, and he's learning how to do that. Um, but I think it just comes with experience for a lot of these guys um, in terms of being a leader and being the one to follow. And I think Fox made a lot of progress in that last season. And that comes with him, you know, really taking a step forward in his game also um, in terms of the development and, you know, success he had last year. Um, so, yeah, I think, honestly, I feel like they're still sort of figuring that out in terms of um, who is going to be that guy. And maybe these new guys, um, you know, change that dynamic a little this season. That That's probably something to watch uh, moving forward. So, like we talked about, the Kings suddenly feel pretty deep. Uh, they've got 13 guys under contract right now. Um, and it just came across, uh, the news just broke as we sat down to record that, uh, there's a 14th guy under contract and, um, that is Kyle Guy. And that is also, he's the subject of an article that, that you wrote, Blake, uh, for Sacton Royalty just a couple of days ago. Um, I would encourage our listeners to go check it out. Uh, the title of that is Kyle Guy is redefining what it means to be mentally tough. So this was a great article and it, I, I especially like, uh, learn, you know, we're, we're fascinated by these guys, the, you know, the Kings, they're, they're great to watch on the court, but when there's a guy like Kyle and I, it's, it's funny that I keep using a guy like this. So I apologize for <laughs> yeah. that. But, um, I had to yeah. think, you have to think about that when you're writing an article about him, by the way, I had to cut <laughs> down on the references. <laughs> Uh, so a player like Kyle, uh, who also has a really interesting narrative off the court. Um, I know you spoke with him uh, about his struggles with anxiety uh, and his his desire to be an advocate. And uh, again, I encourage everyone to go read this. But can you can you tell us about a little bit about the article and, and what it was like to sit down with Kyle? Yeah, you know, he's got a pretty interesting backstory and in, in that, you know, he his, 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 his college program, UVA, you know, in 2018 was the number one seed and they, they, and when they got into the tournament, they had this huge upset losing to the 16th seed and it hit him hard. And up until that point, he had been struggling with anxiety and uh, nobody knew about it at the time, but, you know, he had, he had one situation in that season where the team was number ranked number one and the spotlight was on him and it just got to him. And at one point he broke down and started crying in practice for no reason. Um, and really he had just had a panic attack and he had no way to explain, you know, what brought that on. Um, so, you know, he went through this struggle and, you know, he decided, um, at one point after, you know, the, the, what he felt after losing that to the 16th seed and the backlash they got from, you know, the criticism that comes with something like that, he decided that he was going to 
put himself out there and tell everyone that he's struggling with this stuff. And honestly, it seems like a movement right now in the NBA with players. Um, Kevin Love was a big example last year when he wrote the article uh, about uh, details, a lot of the struggles that he has dealt with over the years with, with mental health. And, you know, it seems like more and more players are starting to talk about this stuff and be open about it. And Kyle, you know, he shared two very personal um, examples of the struggles he went with on social media. And um, he's, he's very comfortable about speaking about it now. He was nervous about doing it at the time. Um, and I think that stories like that, are just, are, you know, it's important in sports because it, it humanizes these guys because, you know, everybody gets stuck in numbers and what the performance and what it means for, you know, the team winning more games, obviously. But, um, within all that, a lot of the, a lot of it gets lost that these guys are people and they have struggles and they have issues with family members and they have issues with friends and people around them and, uh, they struggle with the same thing everybody else does. So I think it's a good thing, you know, that him and guys like Kevin Love and Jill Jill Okafor has actually been open about it too. Um, so I think it's a good thing. And I wanted to share his story, not only to, you know, allow Kings fans to get to know him, but also I'm hoping that, you know, his message about, you know, being open about it and talking about it and talking about how he got help for it and, he overcame it, became a national champion the following year, and now he's obviously doing being successful in the NBA. He just got his two-way contract and showing some, you know, good things in summer league. So, you know, I think it's a good example for other players, but also pretty much anybody in, in society in general that deals with anxiety. So that's kind of the reason why I wanted to share his story. And you know, it was nice sitting down with him. He's very well-spoken, self-reflective, um, kind of knows who he is. And I think that's a good thing in terms of, you know, being able to produce on an NBA floor half the battle with these guys, I think, is confidence and dealing with criticism and all of that that comes with being in the spotlight. So he seems to have that figured out, and that's a big part of, you know, what it takes to be successful in the NBA. So I think that's that's a really good thing. And him being mentally tough, I mean, he's also just been a bit of a closer. I mean, in that Virginia Final Four, you mentioned it a bit. He had big threes in that Final Four game and then the three free throws in the championship game. We already are seeing him do it in Sacramento. He did it that first game, um, a nice three-pointer at the end there. And we did play one game of Las Vegas, but I guess mainly focusing on California Classic here. We saw a nice little outing from Kyle Guy. It was 12.3 points, um, above 40% from three, and a 1.7 assists as well. Um, I kind of have seen him as a little bit more of a shooting guard here, even though I know his usual position is likely a point guard. I've seen a Seth Curry comparison, and that really interests me. Um, the defense isn't quite there yet, but what do you guys... What were your guys' impressions on seeing Guy uh, in his first couple of games in Sacramento? Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's a fair comparison in terms of, you know, what he could become. Um, I tend to think that, you know, he has, he seems to 
have the game figured out in terms of when to shoot, when to pass. Um, he can get into, into passing lanes and get steals. Um, one thing I really noticed, um, during the California Classic was every time, I mean, this is just fundamentals in terms of rebounding, but every time the ball was in the air from, uh, an opponent, he would be looking for his man running over to box out, you know, um, a lot of times he's undersized and he realizes that, but he, he's not afraid to use, use his body to box out, to take charges. Um, so I think the fundamentals of the game, he, he's really good at and, you know, he knows he's a good shooter and he's not afraid to shoot. He can pass the ball. Um, we saw a lot of that last night. Um, so yeah, I think he's got a pretty wide skill set. Um, I agree that he's a, he is a shooting guard. Um, they may test him, uh, well, they sort of are testing him, you know, handling the offense a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll see more of that over the, over the season, whether he's, you know, in Stockton, uh, testing that out. But yeah, you know, I, I think he can be a decent, decent player. And, you know, with, if he adds on a little weight, which I'm sure he can in terms of, you know, getting into the gym and with the trainers that the Kings have, um, you know, he could, maybe he could be an average defender because he's got he's got the motor uh, to make that happen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think, Rich? Yeah, I mean, I I hate to focus on the size because I think that's what everyone does, and I know Kyle has has mentioned that he you know that he actually embraces that. He likes to he likes to see people doubt him a little bit based on first impressions. And he kind of feeds off that, but, but yeah, you know, it being listed at 170, that is, that is an issue. And it, it's something that he can definitely improve, uh, being with an NBA franchise for a year, you can, you can put on weight. Everybody does, you know, it, it, that is, that seems like something that he can accomplish. Um, he's also listed at six two, which feels a little bit small for a guard. And also, you know, it's worth mentioning that. Most NBA measurements are nonsense. Like it's really hard to rely on, on those measurements as being realistic. So there's a good chance he's actually shorter than that. So, you know, I, I struggle with, with seeing exactly how it works. I think he's a little bit of a unique player. Maybe I, I'll call him a combo guard for now uh, and hope that he works on the strength to, to hang with opposing two guards and then I hope that he works on the on offense you know I love his off ball sound crazy but he reminds me of the other Curry he reminds me of Steph Curry when he's off the ball just of how fearless he is running through screens and uh, the way that he can shoot off balance the way that he's he's not afraid to, to take any shot um, contested or whatever you know when the shot clock's uh, running down he just wants the ball and he wants to put it up. He believes in himself in that way. Um, but obviously he doesn't have the, the point guard skills that Steph Curry has as far as, uh, the passing, the handles, you know, Steph is on a, in a completely different world there. Uh, although I, I would love to see, you know, this contract that he was signed to is reportedly a two way. So, you know, I, I think seeing him get some work at the starting point guard position for Stockton would be really helpful for him. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough to know exactly how it all work out, but this guy's going to get a lot better over a year uh, in the Kings organization. What are, you, what are your thoughts on him, Brendan? Yeah, I agree. I think that he is the most NBA-ready of the rookies that the Kings have, and that's because he has that NBA-ready skill of shooting. Um, but I don't see who he's going to be guarding. I mean, you mentioned the size. Um it's he's a fan favorite there's a reason he's a good shooter he's a nice guy he's entertaining but I just struggle to see him getting real NBA minutes next year it's the two-way contract majority majority of it is going to be uh honing his skills a little bit in Stockton the King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor it is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, I think if he he were to make the Kings roster either in terms of like you know, backing up Bogey as a third two, um, you know, it would definitely have to be matchup based in terms of when he got into the actual game because, yeah, it would have to be uh, he I, obviously these two guards in the league that are enormous, he would have probably difficulty staying in front of and handling. So, you know, if he did ever see floor time, it'd probably have to be heavily uh, matchup based in terms of if he's if there's a two on the floor on the other team that, you know, he can sort of match up size wise, but yeah, that's it's probably going to be a challenge for him. And he knows that, like I said, and, and I don't see why he wouldn't, you know, get in the weight room and start working on that. I'm sure that the, the team's already working on that with him. Yeah. A lot of potential there though. He does, he does feel like um, a fan favorite. I I know that I'm excited to, to watch him develop, but, Wanted to ask your opinion on um, a couple other guys. Let's maybe we start with the other draft pick, uh, Justin James, who was picked 40th by the Kings just three weeks ago. Um, what did you see in in uh, the California Classic from him, Blake? Yeah, honestly, I feel like he was a pretty quiet. Um, you know, he had a few plays defensively that stood out a few times. Um, I know, and one in in two of the games he he rebounded pretty well. He had five rebounds in one game and nine rebounds in another, and that was only in sixteen minutes. So, you know, that was good to see. Um, his shooting has been a bit rough, though. Um, he went two for seven, one for five, one for four in the California Classic. Um, decent performance last night against China, um, but you got to take that for what it is in terms of the competition. Um, so yeah, I mean, he definitely seems like a second round pick and, you know, he, he seems like there are some skills there. I think size is another thing with him, um, that he'd probably have to be a challenge for him. Um, uh, but I think he's probably got to figure out what he's going to stand out with and build on that and then, uh, figure out what the team's looking for from him and try to build around that. But, um, you know, I'm sure he'll get extended time, uh, hopefully in Stockton to work on that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, he's, he has some, he seemed to have some times where he, you know, some players, they just seem to not, you just don't see them much, even when they're out on the floor. And I think that that is something that happened uh, quite a bit with him. Um, but, you know, 16 points, four rebounds and a steal last night. So, you know, he had a decent performance. Hopefully he can, you know, keep that up the rest of Vegas. So we'll see. You mentioned it. I did really like his defense. I mean, I think that occasionally um, there were some errors, obviously, but he was engaged the entire time. He's constantly in a defensive stance, paying attention, um, and he does have more of the physical tools. He's more athletic. We saw him, his very first take, I believe, he got rejected at the at the rim, and then the next time you see him try and throw it down instead of laying it up... Um, so I liked what I saw from him, but it's it's like you said. I mean, disappearing in a summer league game isn't going to bode well for getting you NBA opportunity. Um, there were nice aspects from Justin James, but left wanting a little bit more. Yeah, I like how he looked in transition. Um, yeah. I think he does have the size to play the two. You know, more. I'm talking more uh, the length and the height, but. Some of the strength will have to come with time. Um, same thing with Kyle, obviously. But, you know, I, I I really do think that his his hustle chasing boards and his he's really putting in maximum effort on defense, that bodes well for me. Uh, I absolutely could see him, you know, starting in Stockton all year or, or, you know, coming up as a reserve, not really getting any minutes for the Kings, but for Sacramento, but... Um, you know, there's the tool, the tools are there. And again, I think the, the jump in, he did okay against China, but the jump from competition in, in Wyoming to, uh, playing real NBA players, you know, against the Heat and the Warriors and the Lakers, that, that's a big jump for him. Probably bigger than it is for Kyle, uh, having, you know, been through the tournament. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I can't be, I can't have too high of hopes for pick number 40, but, I think that there's something that the Kings saw there that they felt that they could mold, and and I'm on board for it. The yeah, third definitely seems to have you know the right mindset. So you know, it, like you said, the defensive stance, and you know, uh, just just having an awareness of you know what he needs to do. I think he'll he, he has got a lot to work on in Stockton, but I think he'll have plenty of opportunity. The third guy I wanted to mention was Wengen Gabriel, and I think that he was probably the standout of the California Classic for the Kings. Uh, and he is uh, returning, was on a two-way last year. Not quite sure what the plan is for him this year. He could get another two-way. He could be brought up uh, on a you know minimum contract for the Sacramento Kings. But I was really impressed with Wengen. Um, what about you guys? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, I, what stood out to me is that he's taking and actually hitting threes. And, you know, I think that's a big thing. Obviously, something he's focusing on, um, as a way to stand out. Um, he's obviously very athletic, has a high motor, uh, very switchable, um, because he's kind of a tween player at 6'9 at the center and power forward spot. But yeah, he had great energy. Um, almost seemed like a go-to in terms of offense 
for a while there in a couple games in the California Classic. And, you know, you know, I think on his first night he had 22 and 9. Um, he was held out the second game and then the third game had 16 and 5 in 23 minutes. Um, and last night he went three from five, three for five from three. So uh, he's, he's obviously not messing around with being shy about taking threes. Um, and he probably knows he needs to work on that and take his three point shot to the next level to try to, you know, break through and get in, get on an NBA roster. But King spent time developing him last season. So I think they have a vested interest in him. So, um, I think he's got a good shot to continue developing um, and potentially potentially get a few minutes here and there and, and on the Kings, but we'll see. Um, like I said, I'm not I'm not sure where he ends up. Um, probably depends on the rest of Vegas and uh, what he what he can show um, there. Yeah, I, I really like Gabriel. I always have a thing for guys that are just playing the hardest on their team and on the floor. Good things are going to come from that. Uh, you mentioned the three-point shot, and that stroke was looking nice. I was a little concerned with his touch around the rim, and he has all the pieces. Like His physical tools are really nice. Uh, he just still looks a little raw to me. So you see potential, and the flashes are very exciting, but that's as far as it goes right now is that there's just flashes, I feel like. Yeah, something to monitor about him. Uh, I think he is a little bit positionless right now. I know that he played a lot of center for Stockton last year, and he played you know he played center last night against China and kind of got targeted. Uh, you know, when you've got a guy that's got five inches on him, they're going to throw a lot of lobs in his direction. Um, but it's it's just interesting because I feel like. That's one place where the the Stockton team and the Sacramento King have uh, Sacramento team have differences. Where Gabriel played a lot of five in Stockton, and I think that with the, with the way that we know the Sacramento mentality to be, is they might even try to play him at the three sometimes. So really, I think that he's he's a stretch four, and the goal for me would be to to develop him into that stretch four role and to have him take take the job from Bielitsa in a couple of years when Bielitsa's contract is up. Uh, if, if the Kings can take an undrafted free agent and develop him into that role and have him step up and get rotation minutes and, you know, a- across take him a couple of years to do that. But, you know, to me, that would be a huge win. And I also uh, spoke with some of the PR people for Stockton and they said that, when he arrived uh, down there, he was a super quiet guy, very reserved. And by the end of the year, he was outspoken and he was volunteering to go to, uh, you know, all the team events. Uh, he went out to, uh, I believe it was uh, a YMCA event or, or a Boys and Girls Club event where he, you know, he wanted to grab the mic and he wanted to tell the kids how much. Uh, you know, basketball meant to him and how much, um, you know, clubs like that, youth clubs like that meant to him as a kid growing up. So I think that he's got a personality that will shine eventually as well. And will he could be a part of this very, you know, very lovable, very likable uh, Kings core in the future. And I'm hoping that 
I'm hoping that it all works out for him, but, but yeah, just, you know, transferring over into back to the, these last roster spots and kind of projecting out how we think this roster will fill out. Um, we mentioned that there's actually 14 guys under contract now, but Swanigan for me, uh, he was held out of last night's game. He didn't play all three games in uh, at the California Classic. Does anyone? I, I feel like he's he's kind of out of the mix. Does anyone disagree with that right now? Agreed. No, I, I I feel like he's still a bit raw and he's probably not ready to make that jump yet. Um, he seems like a guy, you know, he, he's a big guy, and I feel like if he could if he could sit get out there and be really good at setting screens, um, I feel like that's where he could excel. But he seems to get. Um, a little out of his element under the basket. And, you know, when he gets under a lot of pressure, it seems like things kind of come off the rails uh, for him. So I think he needs a little more, um, you know, a little more development in terms of being able to take that next step. So I agree with you. Yeah, not not really a shooter and not really a guy that can get uh... – vertical and not a guy that can space the floor or or give some uh verticality to the team so i just feel like his role is is hard to imagine but uh if the kings do move on from him then we're looking at two more roster spots uh, or you know one or two uh the team can carry 14 or 15 and do we think that maybe james and gabriel are these last two guys or um, you know, there's still some free agents out there. Is what would you what would you like to see the Kings do with those last two spots, Blake? Um, yeah, it is probably between James and Gabriel, maybe even Corey Brewer. Um, Corey Brewer was a big energy guy last season when the when the team really needed that off the bench. Um, with these new guys that they're bringing in, I don't think that that's going to be as much of a priority or need. So. Um, that may leave Brewer off um, now that they've added, you know, shooting and defense with these uh, free agents. So there may not be a role for him. Um, Gabriel could be an option, like you said, if they're if they're if they're eyeing the opportunity for him to take over Bielitsa and his three point shooting continues because that's what they're looking in terms of, you know, guys that can hit three and open up the lane for Fox and. Bagley to work inside, so um, it could be him, um, and then yeah, uh, Justin James if they need some some depth because really, if you look at their roster, they don't necessarily have um, anybody to back up Bogey at this point um, at the two, assuming that's where he's going to play the bulk of his minutes behind Buddy. Um, so yeah, I think any of those three guys could be a potential. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how much or if any playing time any of those guys would get if if that did happen. Yeah, I'm feeling about the same here. I mean, we were very big on Corey Brewer. Um, we've praised him multiple times on this podcast for good reason. But bringing in a Trevor Reza, uh kind of fills that same role. And I like the veteran presence that Brewer brings. But same thing with Ariza. You're getting that from him a bit here. Um that being said, if Brewer wants to come back, I do think he would be a nice piece on this team. Uh, but I do agree with what Blake said, and I was trying to pull up some shooting guards here. 
um, there is kind of a need at that third string shooting guard, which I don't know how much you can say there's a need for a third stringer, but I guess that would be the one place that I would explore a little more. Yeah, that's interesting because it just it's it's jarring to hear that because the Kings have been yeah like employing eight shooting guards a year for quite some time it feels like but but yeah that's absolutely true and um, as much as as we have talked about Brewer as the last piece to the puzzle um, and and you guys all know that I'm a big fan of Brewers at this point I do if it were up to me I would fill out this roster with with James and Gabriel, I would give Gabriel uh, a minimum contract and I'd, I'd keep him with the squad all year, all year long. And I'd let James have that other two way and have him and Kyle, you know, go back and forth and, you know, develop their games in Stockton a little bit. But yeah, I think that that gives you some guys to, you know, as opposed to, like you mentioned, Brendan, you really said it when you said that they've added veterans now. The Kings have veterans now. So it's not that Brewer is providing something that, that they didn't really have last year. I would be okay with, with seeing him go and really letting these last three roster spots go to the young guys, go to developmental players. Yeah, I, I'm, I think that's, that's the way I would go with this. And this would have to be a minimum contract, right? Yeah, that that would make sense to me. Yeah. Uh just to throw a random name in here, what do you guys think of a a Justin Holiday? I mean, I'm you know, it's the same thing where I don't feel like the Kings really need another rotation piece, so Yeah. I would rather just use that that those minutes to develop the young guys and, and really those minutes are we're talking like five minutes a game when a game is already decided that that's all it feels like is available to me. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think if they have somebody like Gabriel that they've, um, you know, invested a lot of time and resources in over the last year, um, they're probably looking to groom him and trying to allow him to flourish and take, take it to the next level. So I think in terms of development, um, that, that would just be the next logical step. I think, for the team. So, um, and the same with these other two way guys that they're looking to develop. So, um, yeah, I mean, getting the most out of their, their Stockton team is, you know, probably their priority with these last couple spots that they have open, I would imagine. Yeah. And not to mention that Gabriel, you know, coming from, uh, you coming, going undrafted and then doing a year in Stockton and then getting that, minimum contract at the NBA level that feels to me like it would incentivize future undrafted free agents to consider Stockton as, uh, you know, a priority. So I think that that's a smart move. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And we touched on how all of these free agents we've brought in have improved the Kings roster made it really deep, but the entire league just had a major shift. Uh, we haven't, talked since uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George went to the Los Angeles Clippers. The San Antonio Spurs got better with Damari Carroll and Marcus Morris, and they're going to have DeJounte Murray back. Those were teams that Sacramento was fighting with for that eight spot. And then you can also see someone like OKC maybe losing Paul George and falling a bit here. But then the Lakers, a 
Anthony Davis and LeBron James. What sh- are your expectations, Blake, heading into next season for this Kings roster? Well, I think everybody in Sacramento has the expectation is the playoffs. But honestly, if you're looking at um, this team getting better, um, I think you know you probably have to fall back on the the win total mark. Um, and last season, my expectation was that the Kings just come out of the season basically with one player that is clearly on track to become a star. And clearly they met that now that they have, uh, you know, potentially three players that in Buddy and Bagley and Fox that could be, you know, all-stars. So um, that was a success. But for next season, you know, I I was looking back at actually the, the, Den, the, the Nuggets and their progression over the last three seasons and, they're, they won 40 games and they won 46 and then they won 54 last season. So I would expect, um, you know, if you follow that, uh, progression and uh, like I said earlier, I think many of the Kings players are banking on that experience and what they can mimic. So I would expect, you know, a minimum of 46 wins and they won 39 last season. And I feel like the, the free agents that they've added have the capability of, you know, winning them. Uh, a handful more games just on their own in terms of what they bring in terms of defense and toughness. Um, I, I, I thoroughly believe like games like that Brooklyn game where they just completely fell apart down the stretch at the end. Um, I feel like if they had these guys that can, you know, stop D'Angelo Russell from just having a layup drill in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line, um, I feel like there's a chance for them to win games like that. And, then you expect the growth of Fox, Bagley, Buddy, Giles, um, and them taking the next level. You got to figure that, that that would account for a few extra wins as well. So my expectation is a minimum of 46 wins. Um, I believe the cutoff at the playoffs this season was 48 for the Clip- Clippers. Um, so to me, you're looking at them, you're, you're hoping for a minimum of 46 up to 49. 50 wins. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Woo. 50 wins, man, that would be incredible. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying makes perfect sense. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the teams in the West added talent, but, uh, I'm not sure many of them are going to add as much, uh, internal improvement as the Kings being so young and having, you know, three or four guys that could take another step forward. Um, not to mention bolstering the the roster with vets. You know, the math adds up to me there. Yeah, it's going to be really tough. I mean, really, you're just looking at you're just looking at basically Phoenix and Memphis as the only two teams probably that are guaranteed not to make it. So, you know, it's, it's going to be an uphill challenge. But I think any, I mean, obviously, I, I would like them to make the playoffs like everyone, but. I feel like if they can win 48 games, say, and they still get the ninth seed, that's still huge progress. Um, so I, I, th- I still think that's a win. Um, but yeah, they're going to be, they're going to have to, you know, move past the Spurs. Um, you're going to have to bank on Oklahoma City falling out of the playoff race. Um, and then even, you know, the Dallas, depending on how, Porzingis turns out next season if they can make a push and get up there. So 
there's going to be a lot of teams that they're competing with. Um, but I think if they focus on, you know, just, just developing and getting better and, and being better at the things that they weren't last season, they'll have, they'll have, you know, progress and success regardless. But, um, yeah, it's going to, it's definitely going to be tough for them to get that eight seed, but, um, I think there's a chance. And it's just going to be exciting next year, really. I mean, every game is going to matter because of we already know how close this race is going to be. I mean, the games in November and December, you're going to drop a couple, two or three here or there, and you're going to really feel that towards the end of the year. You had the Nuggets comparison. They missed the playoffs by one game, and that just completely propels them to play with an intensity every game next season. And you get the feeling that that could be the same thing with Sacramento here. I mean, obviously they're hoping this is the last year that you're out of the playoffs. Yeah. And it would just be huge, obviously for this city. I mean, last season, everybody was so excited about the potential of just, you know, making the eighth seed and getting swept by the Warriors. Nobody cared that 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 potentially could happen. Um, I mean, especially considering how well the Kings played the Warriors last year, but um, I think everybody was just pumped to just have that experience back here, considering it's been since 2006 since that happened. So, um, like I said earlier, I think all the players know know what's at stake there, and they um, feel a sense of pride in terms of being able to get Sacramento and the fans back to that spot. Um, so I can imagine, you know, seeing the way that outside the arena was having such a great time at the California classic and all the potential there in terms of what that scene could look like for the playoffs. It's just, you know, it would be huge for the city. And I think, um, that's going to be an extra motivation for a lot of these players next season. So, um, it's going to be tough, but I, I think everybody's excited for that potential. Well, I think that is all that we have for you, Blake, unless you feel like uh, there's anything you want to touch on or anything that you have, Rich. Um, no, no, I, I appreciate you guys bringing me on um, and uh, love the work you guys are doing. And I'm happy to come back anytime you guys want to chat about, you know, Summer League or anything happening. We're going to have a big... Obviously, <laughs> it's going to dry up in terms of in terms of basketball news over the next couple of months, but uh, things will things will start ramping up again uh, when training ta- when training camp starts. Yeah, that's it for me as well. Um, I am I am thrilled about the progress of this team. I'm excited to to see where it goes. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Blake, for for coming on with us. And uh, once again, anyone that's listening. Definitely go check out that Kyle Guy article and read all of Blake's stuff over on uh, Sacktown Royalty. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Be sure to stay tuned to those Sacramento Kings Summer League games and enjoy some Kyle Guy, Justin James, Wenyan Gabriel, and you will hear from us again in a couple days.